Hello, everyone. You're listening to Solving for X Season 2, a podcast exploring the workforce challenges shaping the federal government and the people we serve. We're uncovering new ideas from a rapidly transforming labor market, evolving technologies, new worker demographics, and a shifting global economy. We're bringing you fascinating stories, interviews with experts, and access to top thought leaders. We're shedding light on how the changing landscape of our employee experience is impacting the future of work and your daily life. Welcome. Are you ready to solve for X? Hello, everyone, and welcome. So excited to host Tracy Demartini today. She is the Chief Human Capital Officer at the U.S. General Services Administration. Oh, Nina, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. I mean, you are a phenomenal visionary. And Tracy, when we first met, I was so inspired by your vision for the future of federal work. And we know that you're doing the hard work of working committee. So you're also serving as a member of the Chief Human Capital Council with OPM and working on lots of initiatives for GSA. We're going to dive into some of those issues and some of those challenges today, but we're going to begin on a lighter note. What was your first job, Tracy? <laughs> That's a great question. I um, My very first job was working as a bus girl in my family's Italian restaurant. And I joke now in hindsight, I think that set me up for a career in public service because it wasn't about the pay or the profit. It was really about working as a community, you know, with my family to support a local business and just have a lot of fun. So I was really fortunate to have that experience. Looking at the workforce and the professional landscape and what's happening, there are a lot of tech layoffs, a lot of things happening in industry right now. And I heard that you're seeing a bigger interest from industry folks in the federal government. Is that true? We definitely are. Um, And I would like to say to anyone that's listening, we want tech talent to come into government. I think though the best way to make sure they're successful is explaining to everyone the differences between private sector and public, public sector so they can come in with their eyes wide open and understand what the differences are and how they can be successful. What are you seeing as differences in culture as you're meeting more industry leaders who are coming into government? Well, I love that question and I love the opportunity to talk about it because the first thing I like to do is is let everyone know neither one is better than the other. They really are just different. And I love that you led with mission focus, Nina, because that really is what drives people into the public sector. They want to serve their government. They want to work on cross-cutting initiatives that are going to help the improve the lives of all Americans everywhere. And I think if we can start the conversation with people interested come to coming into government and say, look, government is about public service. It's not about profit. We already know you're not going to make as much as you probably are in the private sector, but there are other things to consider, such as more stability, um, a pension, health care benefits. There's also just the opportunity to work on projects that you would never be able to in the private sector. I think about bringing people in that want to work at NASA, right? There's not, well, maybe now there is with Elon Musk and, you know, different things, but you're working on huge life-changing issues, you know, whether it be the cancer moonshot, which I know you were a huge part of under the Obama administration, 
or you're solving issues related to immigration, like our um, colleagues over at Health and Human Services and at immigration, there are just cross-cutting issues that people can get involved in. And I think if they just understand spending a few years in government is so worthwhile and you're going to come in and your compensation is going to look different and the rules may be different, but the rules are there not to be an impediment. They're there to kind of safeguard the principles, meaning we have to always keep in mind we're stewards of the taxpayer's money. So we don't have a lot of extra money to do things that you might do in the private sector, like private dinners or, or trips for your employees. We have to just be conscientious of that. And if people cannot just understand, it's it's different, not better or worse. And I have found having those level setting conversations while we're recruiting go a long way. Because to be very fair, some people just don't want to serve in the public um, domain. And that's OK. Well, there's a myth as well. You know, you mentioned the recruitment process and beginning to apply there's a myth out there that it's just too hard to apply for a government job. You know, I've I've been in government service. I've applied for roles as well. And I tell folks about the process. They're like, OMG, <laughs> could you shed some light on maybe what's happening with that? So, yes, the public sector job um, application process is can be a little daunting if you're not used to it. But that's also because we get thousands upon thousands of applications for any one job that we post, because a lot of people are looking for stability and the benefits that a government job offers. And I think GSA, as mentioned when we were opening this conversation, is one of the most innovative and doing a lot of work to lower the barrier to entry in equitable and just ways. Yes, I was part of the technology transformation services. I know that they do a lot of information sessions and open conversations with the public who is interested in applying. And I mean, that's, that's more than what you see in industry, I say. Yes. And I will admit, we actually stole that best practice from TTS and we're applying it GSA wide. So to give a quick quick example, I recently just posted for a job in my office to be the operations director for human capital. And we received 445 applications, Wow, which is pretty unheard of for a senior executive position. But what we did was set an hour aside. Um, We ran an event right opportunity where people could hear about the job, hear about my leadership philosophy, hear about our goals. And I think that just generated a lot of excitement because people were able to learn more than what was just in the job announcement on USA Jobs. I love that. And again, I don't see companies doing that kind of open outreach and engagement. So I think that's pretty forward leaning. What are some other things happening in government, whether it's GSA or other agencies that you think are really trailblazing or ahead of the curve? So I really think we are taking the lessons learned from the last three years and trying to understand what the future workforce needs. You know, there is a lot of discussion around burnout. So we want to make sure that our employees feel like they know what their expectations are and how to prioritize work. Um, We want to show career paths and where people can upskill so they can look for opportunities for advancement, either in the agency they already work or in another part of government. I remind my colleagues, while we would love to see everyone stay at GSA, 
I actually think there's a lot of value in moving around government to see other agencies, other missions, other cultures, and it makes people stronger civil servants. And you just get a deeper appreciation and understanding of how to use your talents in the best way possible. Are there any exciting examples of the upskilling or learning and development that you would want to share with us today? Yeah. So we are actually looking at a project within GSA right now, um, trying to think about how we can attract more professionals into the acquisition workforce for all of those, right? Government nerds out there. This is something we really get excited about. We know we have a large need for experienced procurement professionals. So we're looking at ways to make it easier for people to come in from state and local government or the private sector, um, and then providing them the training that they will need to get their certifications within the federal environment, and encouraging them to also then take their talents to any agency across, um, across government. You know, GSA wants to kind of be that the keeper to of the gatekeeper into the federal service, but then share the wealth with our partner agencies. We just did this last year where we ran a competitive certificate government-wide for entry-level acquisition. And the National Institutes of Health actually made a selection off of our certificate. So it helps to hire at a larger scale and make things more efficient. Um, I think the biggest hurdle, Nina, has been the change management piece, getting people to understand you know, trusting another agency to do their due diligence and putting the right assessments in place and and identifying the right talent. But I think we're on the right path and we can eventually get there. And I also would be remiss if I didn't talk about my personal passion, which is leadership development. Yeah, I think the only way we're going to continue to evolve is to really invest in our supervisors and managers and our aspiring supervisors, because really being a leader is a skill anyone can learn if they're open to it but you have to be willing to learn the hard skills, the technical skills like, you know, conflict management or how to administer performance um, plans and, and to evaluate people. But you also have to learn the emotionally intelligent part, which again, it's something people can develop, but it's harder than it looks. The big, big moonshot for government is improving the way that services are delivered to the public. So that customer experience And I've always been an advocate that the only way that's going to happen is if we improve the employee experience. And that really sits in leaders doing work differently at times and evolving leadership and management. So pretty um, passionate about that personally. (laughs) This also brings up, so in season one, we had an incredible leader from Medtronic on talking about the future of STEM and STEAM education. And she mentioned the idea of leaders and, you know, even subject matter experts, analysts, you name it, going back and forth between government and private sector. Do you have thoughts on that? I would love to see more of that. Um, I, you know, if I'm already thinking to myself, I have worked in six different agencies as a federal employee, and I have found that to be a remarkably um, necessary and helpful part of my career journey. I would love to see more agility to move back and forth between private and public sector or maybe even state and federal government so people can broaden their perspective and understand there isn't just one right way to do something. I find even in GSA and in teams that I've led, 
It is so helpful to get differing viewpoints, differing levels of experience to just make the conversation richer and help us maybe see the blind spots that we're missing because that's exactly what they are, blind spots. It's very easy to get caught into the cycle of just doing things the way you've always done it. And you need to have that diversity of thought and experience to make it richer. Where are spaces where federal leaders, and again, not just SES, other folks and industry can play and learn together? I just love that question because I think those opportunities are available. We just have to be intentional about seeking them out. So one example I can share, and this happened during the pandemic, as both the private and the public sector were wrestling with how do you lead hybrid or remote workforces, right? How do you make sure people have psychological safety at work and they feel like they can balance their home duties and their their caregiving duties, or even just their panic during a global pandemic while they're working. So at that time, Slack um, had a, a organization called the Future Forum. And it was phenomenal. It brought together industry and government, human capital leaders to talk through these issues. And I think it was such a wonderful opportunity for us to realize neither public nor private sector executives have the answer to all the questions. So we could truly have safe space to share and exchange information and see actually many more commonalities than differences. Yes, everyone knows compensation is different between us and benefits may be different. And the rules of the road about round hiring and discipline and performance management may be different. But at the heart of it all are, is people. Is it possible that when we open these conversations that it might be more equitable to have more fluidity here? Absolutely. And I see it already in the numbers of our applications when we post a job remote versus at a fixed location. The number of applications for remote positions in some instances can be 17 times higher than at a fixed location. The other thing being in the DC area, a lot of people, especially if they're mid-career, they don't want to uproot their life and move, you know, over to the East Coast if they're coming from California or Oregon or Washington. They have roots in their hometowns. If we can offer more remote opportunities, we can actually have more people serving the US government not just from large metro areas, but from suburban and rural areas. It also has a great equalizing effect on helping to attract employees with disabilities or people that may not want to leave their family setups in their communities because you know they live in traditional areas and want to have a safety net. We really want to be the leading employer in terms of offering as much flexibility and equity. And I think having a more distributed government is also going to help build trust. If people see, you know, civil servants are right in their backyard, it puts a face to it. And we just aren't, you know, nameless bureaucrats in Washington, DC. It cuts through that us versus them narrative. And I'm from Detroit originally, I moved to Washington, DC, and now I'm in Colorado and just understanding those narratives around government, the central federal powerhouse of DC. I mean, there's a legacy and history and it's to be celebrated. However, is that model diverse and equitable? Is that going to work for the nation moving forward? So really helpful to hear your perspective on that. And I hope to see more pockets of federal innovation growing across the nation. And now I'm starting to sound like a political. <laughs> yeah. no, I, 
mean, again, it creates good paying jobs. It stimulates the economy. And of course the DC economy is important, but there's a lot of economies across the country that could use some of that, that energy. And, um, yeah, I'm passionate about that too. (laughs) I am too. And I want to really footstomp something you said. It's about creating opportunities for those that may not ever think or want to come to DC. So, you know, that's always what I think is the important part. Not everyone has a life goal to live in a huge urban area or to uproot from their homes. Let's create those opportunities where the best talent is. And if I can hire um, a classification specialist that is has decided to move back home to Montana because they want to be closer to their aging parents, I want to be able to have the flexibility to do that. You are painting a picture of the future of government that is so tempting. I want to come back and be part of it. I want you you back. (laughs) You are such an inspiration and a delight. And before we wrap up the conversation, would love to get a few more gems from your brain for the listeners out there. What book are you reading that you just love? Oh my gosh. I am a huge book nerd. Um, and I would say one of the things that's on my nightstand right now is lessons in chemistry. It's like the, it's on the New York times bestseller list. It's wonderful. It's fiction. I love to read fiction to kind of relax after working. And I highly suggest it. I'm going to check that out too. I also love fiction. And are there any cool podcasts that really get you thinking and questioning and evolving um, as you're working in government? Oh, Nina, I'm going to have to make a confession. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I'm telling you, I don't know what that says about me, but I promise you, I'm not going to take any of those lessons learned into government. (laughs) (laughs) I think, Tracy, this is what makes you... A true unicorn is that, you know, your interdisciplinary thinking is how I would call it and creativity and just warmth as a human is truly what the best of government is and can be in the future. So thank you so much for being on the show. We are so lucky to have you. Any, any closing thoughts for the folks out there? I just am so grateful to be here, Nina. It's another example of a good partnership between public and private sector. And I look forward to many years of collaboration ahead of us. And for anyone interested in working for the federal government, do not be shy. Do not be scared of USA jobs. Get an account and start applying. We would love to have you. And I'm also happy to help folks uh, think through their strategy because, again, I've been there as well. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of Solving for X. What is your big takeaway? Can you help us solve for X? Reach out to me, Nina Bianchi on LinkedIn to share your ideas for future episodes. Or if you have an idea of a guest you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time. Thank you.